Welcome to the Isle Podcast. I'm John Froze, a former state representative and state senator in the state of Michigan. And I'm David Rutledge, also a former representative in Michigan. Together, we've seen firsthand how the aisle separates one side from the other. The aisle can, in many instances, though, bring us together. Today, we will explore just how the aisle has influenced our leaders and public servants, Republicans and Democrats, elected and appointed. So join us in the aisle, where together we can deepen our understanding of the things that separate us and explore just how we can work together for the common good. Why, hello, John. Hey, David, how are you? I am really good and excited this day. It's good to uh, to see you back in the aisle. And uh, I just wait until you uh, meet our guest, a special, special gentleman uh, that has uh, many facets to his life. Um, all, the, all of them not super great. There have been some dark moments. Uh, but we're going to dive into and, and hopefully he will share uh, some of those things with us. Our guest um, comes to us on the heels of um, uh, Veterans uh, Month and how we've celebrated uh, our veterans. So uh, shall we welcome into the aisle Bob Taylor? I look forward to it. Thank you. Hello, Bob. Hi, gentlemen. Uh First of all, thank you for inviting me on the show. And uh, I, I just think it's a great idea that you have this uh, this idea of the aisle. And I can't think of a, a topic that does a better job of joining uh, the two parties or however you want to look at. Um, but there, there's no topic that joins us together better than caring about what happens to uh, our country's veterans. Thank you so much for just the time. I know how busy you are. After all, you are uh, a businessman with a with a major company uh, to run. Can you share with us uh, just some background information about you? Uh, tell us about Bob Taylor. Sure. So you know, I'm I'm in my sixties now, so I'm in a new phase of my life. Uh, but uh, I. Grew up in Michigan, I'm a Midwestern, went to Michigan State University, and uh, I joined the Air Force um, after my senior year at Michigan State and uh, served active duty in B-52s as a navigator and, and uh, radar navigator. And I had some combat experience, uh, but then after, after Desert Storm, I left military service and uh, pursued a a civilian career in medical device industry. And here 32 years later, I'm still in the medical device industry and have uh, um, owned my own business, Alliant Healthcare Products for the last 20 years here in Grand Rapids. And um, in parallel to my civilian career, I I had eight years as a KC-135 navigator and also as an Air Force Academy liaison officer for the last five years of my career, which ended in 2005. But uh, just a lot of different experiences, uh, uh, both, uh, you know, some awesome experience in the military, some challenges uh, that I dealt with afterwards and, uh, and some successes in business as well. 
We're going to talk about uh, some of those challenges. I hope you will share with us uh, and from the perspective of being helpful to others uh, who may have experienced some of the same challenges. But what about uh, what about family, uh, Bob? Uh, you have some you've done a lot of military things, Air Force. You and I share that uh, that experience together. Uh, but you've had some military people in your in your family, have you not? Yeah. So uh, interestingly, I've had a couple great grandfathers. My sixth great grandfather served in a, a battle called the Battle of Oriskany in in New York, which just coincidentally was eight miles away from where I was stationed in B-52s. He actually died in that battle, uh, but uh, I've had um, a third great-grandfather fought just two weeks apart from when when my first grandfather passed away. Uh, And then I've had aunts and uncles and and cousins, and um, so uh, my father, uh, all served in the military, so it's it's kind of a family heritage. Let's talk for a minute uh, before John try, uh, chimes in with a question or two uh, about uh, people in your lives that uh, that may have been instrumental uh, in in mentoring uh, mentoring you along the way, and then we want to talk about what I'm seeing in the background on your screen a book you have written. Uh, we'll dive into that in just a moment. But um, I, I, I remember, I think, reading in the book that one of your mentors was John, was Bob Proctor. Uh, can you tell us about your experience with him and, and the important role he played uh, in your life? Sure. So I, I really wasn't aware of Bob Proctor until my son, who's a videographer, went to work for Bob. And Bob is one of the, or uh, he unfortunately passed away a couple years ago, uh, but Bob was one of the foremost experts on how the mind works and uh, talked about the law of success and and how we can kind of shift our thinking and create new, what's called paradigms to change our programming, to become more successful and to find a new path in life. Uh, we're, we're kind of the products of everything that we've heard and learned and been exposed to. And, and sometimes, especially in the, our military lives, uh, we have these paradigms created that kind of control our lives. And Bob Proctor was one of those advocates for uh, that we can change our thinking and, and really uh, approach life in a, in a brand new uh, way to create um, a high level of success. So Bob was absolutely one of the key mentors. Uh, I would also say my father. Uh, he he died when I was relatively young from Lou Gehrig's disease. <laughs> but uh, just um, he had passed away a couple years before I graduated from Michigan State. And I happened to be walking to my one of my classes in my senior year. And my father's voice kind of triggered in the back of my mind. He said, I always wish I would have learned to fly. And I looked up and I was standing in front of the um, Air Force recruiting station. And so I listened to that voice and I took a right hand turn. And nine months later, I was at officer's training school and and went on to uh, to all the great experiences I had in the military. 
Thanks. Oh, amazing, Bob. Thank you for sharing that. And and you're right, those voices that often pop up in the most unexpected ways. Um, I can think of a few in my own and on my own. And, and you know, my grandfather was uh, a, a fighter pilot trainer in World War II. So I have a lot of family history also that, that while I didn't serve, David, you and Bob served and so many others have served. Uh, I got to know very well the 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 challenges, though, from my father, who was a medical doctor here in Southwest Michigan for many, many years, and he often talked about those that were in the military. So as you think about the influences that you just referred to, Bob, and the brain science, the brain health, the brain uh, uh, triggers that allow for change, there must have been something that happened that made you think, I have to take take on board this change theory, this change suggestion in my mind. What what was it that triggered your engagement in that sort of a topic? What what led so, you to that from your service to that particular engagement? So a couple things. I think I've always been the type of person that's very open to the change. Uh, some people kind of get stuck in a in a rut. And uh, I've always been open to thinking differently. And uh, so when I met Bob Proctor, uh, it just made common sense to me, the things that he was talking about. And so, you know, I didn't go from zero to 10, but I think he, he really bumped up my game and, and put some enthusiasm into how I approached life. Uh, so um, I, I think the other thing that influenced some of the decisions I made were some of the challenges that I faced. Um, you know, when I, when I wrapped up my combat experience, I didn't really think I was affected. And then these nightmares um, uh, just seemed to come out of nowhere. They lasted for about six months and uh, just as mysteriously as they started, they just went away. But uh, 16 years later, a whole 16 years went by and the nightmares came back and I say they came back with a vengeance. And so, uh, I struggled. I was, uh, I was actually afraid to go to sleep. Uh, I started drinking a little bit, trying to help, tried to drink a little bit more, maybe a little bit more. And then I, you know, I came to the realization that, that that's not going to help. And I wasn't the version of the person I wanted to be. So I, I had to dig deep and realize I'm not the father I want to be. I'm not the, the husband that I want to be. And I wasn't the colleague that I thought I needed to be. So I finally got to the point where I sought help from the VA. That's a, extraordinary that you had the fortitude, the, the willingness to self-evaluate. I, I wonder whether or not that is one of the biggest hindrances for anybody seeking change in their lives is just to admit that perhaps I'm not the best version of myself. That's extraordinary. How do we get people to understand that you can change? Well, there's two aspects to it. One is to kind of be self-aware and realize that you're just not the person that you want to be. The other one is for some reason, uh, and David, I don't know if you experienced this, but sometimes uh, we veterans tend to want to solve all our problems on our own. And what's amazing about that is that nothing in our military experience teaches us that. Uh, everything we do in the military is as a unit. 
you know, you've got a squadron, you've got a platoon, you've got, you know, a, a brigade. You, you're always part of some kind of a team. But when we get out, we tend to think that we should be self-sufficient and solve all of our own problems. And one of my life's biggest regrets is that I waited 16 years. And so it's, it's that um, uh, experience or realization that you can't solve everything on your own and that you need help. And that's really the big difference is, is uh, recognizing that you're not the person that you want to be and then um, going out and finding someone to help you. So, so Bob, you were really on, on a journey, and that journey brought you uh, to a point where you said, I think I can reach out and help someone else uh, who may be going through what, what I've experienced and you decided, I take it along the way, to do it through sharing your experiences in the book uh, that you uh, recently wrote called From Service to Success. Can you tell us what brought you to, uh, sure. to that and, 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 and how, you know, how tough? I can't imagine that, that it was easy. Um, and also in your discussion, I noted that you dedicated that book to uh, to three individuals. Uh, you, you devoted it to, to several, but three you specifically called out. Uh, and can you tell us about um, why, as it relates to uh, you know Captain sure. John Olson and, and those people? Sure. So um, uh, I'll go back to the first part of your question, which was um, how I got to the point where I wanted to write the book and how I yes. went through that process. So, um, so when I, by the time I realized I wasn't the version of myself I wanted to be, and I got through the, you know, the initial hurdles of getting into the VA, by the time I got to my first appointment, uh, I was kind of a, a hot mess. But I told the counselor, I said, I will be the best patient that you've ever had. I will do everything that you asked me to do. And I feel like I kept that promise. And uh, so as time went on, I started getting better. She helped me kind of reprogram the, the nightmares, started to go away. And uh, then they went all away. And uh, I started getting better. So, and year over year, it's it's not a you know it's not a two week process. And so, five years into that treatment, um, I realized that there are a number of vets that are are probably like me. And so, I wrote this book. I put six years of research into it because I wanted to make sure that what I was saying was absolutely accurate. And that's one thing. You know, military people aren't necessarily easy on each other. So if I was going to put information out there, I didn't want anyone coming back at me kind of questioning whether I knew what I was talking about. Bob, have you met former legislators? They're not very easy <laughs> on each other either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we all kind of in our own groups, it's like that's a family, right. right? <laughs> uh, so I did, I did the research. I shared some of my own stories some of my war stories, some of my, you know, personal challenges. 
And then I shared some from other veterans and how they overcame it. And then I shared some of how I succeeded in business. And um, so um, as I, I just wanted to reach out and start helping veterans the same way that I was. And, and so part of this is that I didn't realize after writing the book that I would be giving up all of my personal privacy. My wife and I are typically very private people and not going out mm-hmm. and publicly speaking and definitely not sharing, you know, mental health issues. But uh, I think you can tell I'm a lot more comfortable uh, talking about it now. But w- when you put the priority of helping other people, it, it does uh, make a big difference. So y- you asked about the my three cellmates that um, uh, I served over in in, uh, in Desert Storm, and we lost one of our B-52s, and the all six crew members had to bail out of the aircraft, but they ended up um, bailing out uh, very late in the process, and the two, the navigator and the radar navigator, were were lost and never found, and then the electronic warfare officer, uh, he made it to his life raft, but had received uh, um, fatal injuries during the ejection sequence, and uh, so it always sticks with me. Those uh, those guys were uh, with us. We we met the night before that mission, and you know, people had a, a bottle of beer or two, and we laughed, told jokes, and. They were there kind of one minute and gone the next. And um, I I always remember that others have sacrificed far more than I have. And it's something that I keep very close to me. And and, uh, uh, those three guys are just examples of, of, you know, that ultimate sacrifice and, and really how it could be any of us at any particular time. Uh, but uh, I do think of them uh, on a on a frequent basis. Yeah, I have to. You take me back by just sharing uh, stories about uh, a story about loss, um, and certainly that's a part of military experience. Um, share with us some of the issues that you, that veterans face when they return home from. Uh, particularly from combat situations, and now they're back in civilian life. Yeah, David, I, um, I'm, I'm kind of putting together an article talking about the, the Army just came up 25% short of its recruiting goals. And, um, and I think overall, I don't know what the numbers are, but I think we fell short across the board. And w- what I think about is you know, how many people would, would sign up for some kind of event if they knew they had a one, one in two chances of having challenges in their life? Uh, that's what the statistics are for veterans. 22 million veterans in the U.S., about 11 million of them struggle. And, you know, that struggle can, can be just finding um, good quality work. Some of it can be mental health, uh, mental illness, could be um, PTSD, 
Uh, and then, then you get into the suicide statistics where 22 veterans die every day from suicide. But what struck me in my research is it's not just the 22 veterans that die from suicide every day. There's, uh, according to CDC statistics, 640 veterans attempt suicide every day. Mm. And 1,800 are kind of coming up with their plan for suicide and 5,500 are thinking about suicide every day. So um, there, there's a, um, a gap, there's a problem with how veterans are reintegrating. It, it, combat does have a, an impact, but um, I talked to a, a mother of a veteran over in Battle Creek and uh, her son didn't serve in combat, but he's struggling. And I think part of it is when you, I think people accomplish more in their uniform than they ever thought humanly possible. I wrote about a time in combat when I could see AAA fire, anti-aircraft fire ahead of me, but we still flew towards the target. You know, first responders, um, military people do things that are extraordinary. And so it's hard to just give that up and then start something all over again. And um, I talked to someone up at the, at the um, event that you and I met at, David. Uh, he yeah. said that he, he used to be an E6 and he missed his stripes. He said, I knew who I was. Uh, and uh, that's part of the issue is just that identity yeah. and uh, knowing who we are, what our passions are, but I, I, I say this to every group I speak to, your best days are not behind you, your best days are in front of you. What do we do as a society that, that we get right in this mental health discussion, Bob? Because that's a lot of what, what you're referring to and the stories that you've told have helped. And frankly, that's what David and I are doing with the IELTS podcast is allowing stories to draw connections between people, right? And so if we know that, that mental health is is an emerging issue it's always been there but it's emerging on the public scene and the public awareness what are we doing right and what do we need to do either as public policy officials or local folks what what do we need to do to to actually affect change in that space yeah i actually do have an opinion on that um so i i spoke to a counselor at the va and i asked her a question i said if someone comes to you and they say, I need help and you develop a care plan and they follow the treatment, how many of those people get better? And she, she asked me just to, you know, to really clarify, she said, they follow the treatment. And I said, yes, in this example, they do, they listen to your advice and they do the work. I said, how many of those get better? She said, all of them. She said, if they do the work, they might not get all better, but they get everyone gets better. And I think that's a phenomenal uh, statistic. Uh, veterans that are treated at the VA have a 35% less chance of committing suicide. That's a huge impact. So what we can do as a society on that point is a little bit of what I'm doing right now is let's just get the word out. Let's 
let's destigmatize mental health. Uh, if I had a cast on my leg, the three of us would probably be joking about how I did some some stupid trick on the golf course and, and ended up in a cast. <laughs> or you should have seen the other guy. Yeah, you see the other guy. But the the reality is there's no shame in the the mental health struggles, the the mental illness that we have to deal with. It's just another body part that um, but the good news is there there are people, there are professionals that can care for us. I, I just spoke to a group of um, uh, the PGA has a program for veterans called PGA Hope. And I just reflected with them, hey, you guys might not have been very good at golf, but you got a coach. And yes. look at the improvement. Just after six weeks, how much better you got at the game of golf. Well, that that game of golf is more about how to succeed in life. Areas of your life that you might not uh, be successful at or be where you want to be, Get a coach or a mentor. So I think that's a big part of it. And then I think what the two of you are doing is super important. Uh, the divisiveness and disunity in this country is very harmful. When when a, a service member comes back and they've put everything on the line, they've lost buddies, they've lost this, then they come back to this dysfunctional society uh, it has a tremendous negative impact on their their mental health. And so I think the more we can do to be unified and find areas of commonality and, uh, and work together for common good, that goes a long ways towards helping veterans uh, because they realize the sacrifices they made were, were for something good. Yeah. Bob, you said something um, that um, that sticks with me, and uh, I, I want to repeat it now. You said when when one soldier fails, we all fail. Expand on that a little bit. Well, that's that's a personal feeling I have. Is um, I'm not okay with the 22 veterans that are dying from suicide. Uh, that's just an atrocious number to me. It's one and a half times what what normal society is. Um, I'm, I just take every veteran has the right and the ability to have a great successful life. And it takes a community uh, to work together. I, I wrote an article called Make a Friend, Save a Vet. And the whole point of it is, I think, it's a, I think it's a good thing to say, thank you for your service. I think that's a good thing. It makes veterans uncomfortable. Many of us think that we're just doing our job and it was something that we we're trained to do. Uh, but I think that there's another step to be available for a veteran, to listen to them and make a connection and maybe meet with them once a week and just to be an ear for, for what their problems might be. Uh, but you never know where someone is. You know, I, I have a pretty good sense of humor. Uh, I have hidden uh, for many, many years some of the, the challenges I was going through just by using my sense of humor. And so you never know where someone is. And I think it's that those relationships 
that really make the difference. Bob, I'll tell you, that is so true. That is exactly why David and I um, came together as, as friends and colleagues from different parts of the state, different life experiences, different experiences in the legislature, but found commonality in that work together almost a service, if you will. We served in the legislature together, No, in no way making comparisons to service and combat, that's for sure. Although there were days, David, it felt like yeah. it, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think, I do think that, that effort at developing relationships and, and having real conversation is, is a critical factor in this. And, and I suppose if anybody walks away with anything today, Bob, you said it right, make a friend. Make a friend and then keep in touch. In in our legislative experiences, um, John Prose will will verify that a lot of the connections that we made uh, from you know varying points of, of disagreement and coming together finding uh, commonality, it had to be worked at, but it happened in the aisle. When both sides came, you know, when we were hit, we had downtime and we'd be meandering in the aisle. And that's, uh, John and I remembered that. And that's why we wanted to call this um, the aisle. Uh, it, this has been spectacular uh, information that, that you have shared with us. And we want to share with our viewers and listeners that Bob's book is From Service to Success. A new mission, new purpose, and a new journey to a great life. The publisher is Morgan James Publishing out of New York. And and Bob, we're so grateful that you joined us in the aisle uh, to share uh, with us. Uh, we re I recommend, and uh, I know Prose does as well, that um, that we all can benefit uh, from taking a look at, and reading. Uh, Bob Taylor's book, From Service to Success. John Prose? I appreciate it, David. Thank you. And, and Bob, I'll tell you, it's just, it's great to hear you share with us your own personal stories. And you're right, when, when you're vulnerable enough to share those stories, it invites others to share theirs. It invites others to share legitimately why they are who they are, what experiences have led them to that point. And, and David and I couldn't be more thrilled to have you close us out today in the aisle podcast and 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 talk about your book how we can find it where's the best place to find it and and we'll make sure that we put it in the show notes then too so and, and bob I, what you said what you in telling us that information you also have the have the last word give us some <laughs> gym, some kernel of information that uh, that you want to share with us we could take away, our audience can take away, and the veterans who are watching can take away. So first of all, I'll just say how grateful I am. I, uh, one of our core values at my business is uh, the value of diversity of thought. And I don't know what happened to uh, debate, how we can't respect each other for our differences. I think our differences are what makes us an interesting country. And so I really respect the work that you guys are doing. So thank you. And thank you for having me on. Uh, I'll make just a, a blatant plug for my book. Um, it's available, um, you know, on online and in, in some of your favorite bookstores. Um, 
But one thing I do encourage is if you went to, if you go to patriotpromise.org, I'm asking people to, you can buy a book and we automatically donate one. And there's an opportunity to donate five or 10. Uh, but we take those books and we donate them to the to veterans at VA hospitals, to like these veterans that go to the, uh, the PJ Hope, uh, different veteran organizations all over the country. And uh, I've donated over 2,000 books to veterans on behalf of, of everyone that has supported the Patriot Promise uh, uh, project. So uh, please go to patriotpromise.org, take a look. And if you're willing, uh, please buy a book and donate. And Bob, uh, both John Prose and I uh, want you to um, give big hugs to Liz Nolan for being re- uh, helping to get you in the aisle. She was yeah. just fantastic. Yeah, she is. She's a great help to me. I don't know what I'd be doing without her. So I'll. She'll be very happy to hear that. So thank you, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank okay. you, Bob. Thank you for joining us today for the Isle podcast. If you like today's discussion, be sure to like, subscribe, and share the Isle podcast on Facebook, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also find us at theislepodcast.com. So step into the aisle and make a difference in your life, just like our guest today. And we'll see you in the aisle.